chapter is going to detail what's going to become Paul's shipwreck as he is on his way to Rome. But chapter 27, verse 20, stands out to me. The Bible says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, everyone say all hope, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. All hope is gone. I'm going to preach simply this morning, hope remains. Hope remains. And I know you know how it feels to have a hope that burns in your spirit. But I also know at times in your life you have felt hopeless. It has been well said that in our lives we are either in a problem, coming out of a problem, or about to enter into a problem. So whichever level you're on today, may the word of God somehow impact you. God, I ask you to anoint your word, anoint me, anoint my heart, my life, and anoint this congregation to receive. We give you glory and honor and praise in all things. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, and give him a great hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter 27 records the perils of Paul's voyage that will ultimately lead, lead uh, to a shipwreck. The details are shared and we are offered a glimpse into the perils of this dramatic voyage. It's a tale not unlike the ebb and flow of our own lives, the ups and the downs and all the craziness in our own lives. It could even reflect of the up and down and ebb and flow of a church. And I know this church has had its ups and downs, but it's going forward. As Paul is led as a prisoner with the other 275 passengers, the drama begins and the plot thickens. I want you to notice just a few of the things that they encounter along the way. Verse 3, the Bible says that they were courteously entreated. That means that people were nice to them. Isn't it great when people are nice to you? Uh, so they were, they were nice and they were courteously entreated. That's verse 3. The very next verse, verse 4, the Bible says that they felt and faced contrary winds. It doesn't take long to get from being treated nicely to facing some contrary winds. And, and all of these ministers that just received their license, they'll, they'll understand as, as they continue on. Verse 7 says in this voyage that they sailed many days slowly, slowly. This is the monotonous part of the journey where it's nothing exciting or extreme is happening. Then they go to a place called Fair Havens, and it's great to have a place like that to rest. But after Fair Havens in verse 8, the very next verse, verse 9, says that sailing was now dangerous. So it goes from a, a haven to a dangerous sailing. The Bible says in verse 13, the south wind blew softly, a nice, pleasant, soft wind. That's verse 13. Verse 14, the very next verse, says that Eurachlodon, a strong, tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon, Eurach, your world, Don. 
So they go from everything is nice and a nice wind, kite flying wind, to all of a sudden a tempestuous Yerachladon. One verse to the next, one day to the next, one moment to the next, one conversation to the next. It doesn't take long for the voyage to change. And the Bible says that they had to do a lot of work on the boat, and then they feared falling into quicksands and, and so on. And then they threw things overboard to lighten the load so they could sur somehow survive. But then, as they try their best, they reach a point of hopelessness. And that's the verse that I read unto you where they looked into the heavens because these mariners and these seafaring men they have to be able to, to, to be able to navigate by the stars. They didn't have GPS and things like that. They had to look into the stars to be able to know how to navigate their journey. But when heaven was closed up, it appeared that heaven itself wasn't going to help them. They can't see the stars. There's no sun. There's nowhere to go. And you're out on this vast ocean. <clears throat> this vast sea with no possibility of knowing where you're at and you're lost. And the Bible says when that happened and it appeared that they could not make it and they could not survive, that all hope was lost. This is like hell on earth or hell on the high seas when you have no hope. Dante, when he wrote his epic Inferno, he said, written across the corridors of hell, is this saying, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Hopelessness is hell. There's no hope. There's no way. And here these strong men, these hardened men, begin to weep in despair because we are not going to make it. One man has said, no doubt more than that, that in a shipwrecked condition, there's no such thing as, a, as an atheist that people began to cry out to God. The ground, the, 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 the boards are creaking and moving and, and they appear that there's no way out of this situation and we're not going to survive. All hope is lost. All heavenly assistance has faded. Everything has changed. Everything is against us. I don't know if we can make it. Our two brief lives are about to be extinguished. We're not going to make it. The storm clouds are thick. Hope has faded into the darkness. Everything is lost. And in even our lives sometimes we hear a doctor's report and our smile turns to gloom when just previously a day before everything seemed to be fine. And it might be a financial situation. It might be a relationship. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your children. And it appears to you it appears to you that all hope is lost. Heaven doesn't seem to be helping at all. People today are flailing all around us. The foundations are fading. Right is wrong and wrong is right. It seems to be an upside down world. All types of things and perils of war and rumors of war and inflation and all the things that we deal with. The cultural turbulence and the societal changes that pit brother against brother and sister against sister. Chaos and, and doom. All of the things that are happening, we're not going to make it, is what the world and the voyage says. But something amazing happens in the midst of the hopelessness. 
couldn't speak. A man of God said, an angel visited me. And the man of God steps forward. I want you to notice, how, how do you think this would be taken? Here they are thinking they're all going to die and the preacher steps forward. You know what he says? Cheer up. Cheer up. If they had stones, they might have used them about then. Aggravating preacher. Cheer up. Don't you know? You're here with us. Don't you know what's happening? Don't you know we have no hope? And you say in the midst of hopelessness, cheer up. Because the man of God had heard something they didn't hear. He was able to step forward into the midst of their hopelessness and say, cheer up. I want you to know we're all going to make it. Come on, somebody. We're all going to make it. As a matter of fact, you're not going to lose a hair off of your head. Now, I know it's more challenging for some than others, brother. You're not going to lose hair. I love you. We're all going to make it. So here they are, all going down. We're all going to die. But the man of God, who had a visitation from God, steps forward into the midst of all that, says, hey, cheer up, we're going to make it. Aren't you glad for a man of God who was speaking to the darkness, who was speaking to the abyss, and say, you're going to make it. Everything seems to be against you. You don't think it's possible, but the man of God says you're going to make it. You have a pastor who tells you that. you got an evangelist who's telling you that. You're going to make it. The God who is for us is greater than all of the enemy and adversary that's against us. We're going to make it. When I was 13, pastor, I told you, in spite of the peppermint, I got, I got one today. I started going to uh, fellowship meetings. And you don't, out here don't know about conservative North Louisiana fellowship meetings. But it, we, we look back now, we call them battleship meetings. Because basically each one tried to out-preach the other or harder than the other to where, let me just go on. All right, so in one particular meeting, this happened. I, I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm, I may be 15, 16 by now. And this preacher gets up in his five-minute allotment at the fellowship meeting. He, he begins to preach, and he says, you know the story about the ten virgins. There are five wise and five foolish. So he said, for 50% 50 of you, you're not going to make it anyway. Hopelessness sets in in a teenager. I'm in the lower percentile. The next preacher gets up. He can't be outdone by that preacher. The next preacher gets up and he says, I think that's something. There were 10 lepers. Some of you already know what I'm saying. Only one of them came back. Only 10% of you are going to make it anyway. Well, I'm way down the percentile. So I'm not going to make it. So disillusioned and disappointed, but thank God... In the midst of all of that, there was another preacher who stood up and said, I want you to understand something. God is for you. God loves you. God's going to help you. 
There's hope in hopelessness. Come on, somebody. I've come as a preacher from Louisiana to tell my good Californian friends, we're all going to make one of you in this building you say preacher how could you say we're all going to make it because I know the power and the mercy and the grace and the provision of my God and he is greater than any and everything that comes against you and wars against you you just stay in the ship you just stay in the ship and you keep coming and you keep believing and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other you're going to make it I said, you're going to make it. You may have come in here dragging, thinking I can't make it. I can't survive. I've come to tell you, you're going to make it. The devil is a liar, but God is the truth. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him, you're going to make it. I said, well, I've sinned against God. I hate to admit it, but since I was 13, I received the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. I failed God. Now, like we, we like to say, you know, I stubbed my toe and I messed up my trip. Sin! And I dare say that everyone who has been born again at some point Now, see, you young people need to know what I'm telling you. Because there's a voice that'll come to you and tell you you're not good enough. And when you sin, notice I didn't say if, and we're going to get better, we're going to get through it, you understand, but there are points in time, you understand what I'm saying. You mess up. You don't just run out of the church and go out into the world and embrace what you fail to. You come back to the altar. Because there's a God who will welcome you at an altar. And there's a church that will welcome you at an altar. And they're not going to remember you based on what you've done. They're going to remember you based on who you were before what you did. But, but you don't understand. Some of you may have children that have that new God. Now they're distant. They may be living all, all types of perversion. They may be on drugs. They may be alcoholic, they, whatever. Some of them may be even may deem themselves to be atheists at this point. But that, just say they're so far from God. They've, they've traveled a million miles away from God. So here they are, a million miles removed from where they were. And in their mind, they say, how could I ever get back to God? How can I travel back a million miles to get to God? How can I retrace all my steps and make my way all the way back to God? I want you to understand something. If you're a million miles here away from God, all you've got to do And you got to be careful when you do this. Turn. Because when you turn, you stop, you turn to make one step back to Father. You got to be careful. Why? Because Father's already running to you, falling on you, embracing him. He'll, he'll knock you down. The love of God will knock you down. He'll fall on you. He'll embrace you. He'll welcome you. You don't have to make it back a million miles because God will go a million miles to get you. Come on, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Just say, God, I'm sorry. You can't undo everything you've done, but you can speak 
a word and say, God, have mercy on me. Hopeless. But there are people that they feel hopeless. There's no way. There's no way I can survive. There's no way I can make it. There's no way I can. I want to quickly tell you, a hopeless girl that I preached to a few years back, she was 12 years old, came to the altar. 12-year-old girl came to the altar. And, and this was during uh, the, the gothic stuff when it was at its, at its peak. And she had her, her black fingernails, black, everything black, all the black makeup, mascara, all that stuff. And she came up and she's down there and she starts praying. And as she's praying, I listen to her pray. And she starts just begging God. She's saying, God, do you hear me? And she was weeping so much, you know, that all the, the black was just streaming down her face. And, and I got down beside her pastor and I said, I said, listen, baby, what, what's wrong? She said, I'm trying to pray, but God hates me. God hates me. God hates me. I said, what do you mean, what do you mean God hates you? God doesn't hate you. Yes, he does. God hates me. I'm going to hell. God hates me. And I said, baby, what is it? I said, just talk to me a second. And she said, I'm 12 years old. And I was, I, I, don't, I don't want to be too graphic, but she said she was, she was raped by her stepdad. She became pregnant. And her mother took up for the man, took her and had an abortion. And here's this 12-year-old girl who feels so horrific. She says to me, she says, I'm nasty and I'm dirty and I'm vile and I'm a murderer and God hates me and I'm going to hell and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And I hugged her and I embraced her, getting all of that black stuff on my suit, but I held her and I said, listen to me, the devil's a liar. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. I want you to know God loves you. And I want I, I, you've repented, haven't you? Yes. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to begin to love God and praise God and thank God. And that little girl lifted her hands. In just a few minutes, she began to speak in tongues. And she got up and she ran around the church. And she said, I want to be baptized. And we took her and baptized her in the name of Jesus. I've come to tell you, the devil's a liar. No matter how bleak and dark it might have in your life there is hope hope remains for you there's hope for you lift your hands and call on them just a moment would you there's hope the man of God is speaking into your abyss the man of God is speaking into your darkness and saying you're going to make it going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it, my brother. You're going to make it, my sister. When all hope was lost, the man of God said, cheer up. An angel talked to me, you're going to make it. And he said, give him some bread, eat, I mean, some meat, eat some meat. Man, I love when preachers say, let's eat. Eat, eat, eat some meat, eat gonna make it now you go from that moment in this voyage we said we're gonna make it we're gonna make it what do we have to fear well there's still a shipwreck that's going to happen you see this all happened before the ship actually wrecked the Bible says see then it happens which they feared that which we fear in verse 40 
when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea, loosed the rudder bands, hoisted up the mainsail to the wind, made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was, was broken with the violence of the waves. So now it's a shipwreck. Now it's a shipwreck. Now it's like, what did you say, Paul? What did you say, Paul? You said we're going to make it? Have you given us false hope to tell us that we can make it when it looks like we're all going to die, especially when it says, the Bible says, the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim out and escape. So you've got the prisoners and the, the guards now who take unsheath their swords to kill all the prisoners because they would have to give their own lives if they let any escape. So they unsheath their swords and they're preparing to kill all of the prisoners. Can you imagine looking back to the moment when they ate meat a little while back? And the man of God said, cheer up, you're going to make it. But now we're standing with, with these men before us with their swords ready to pierce us through and kill us. Aggravating man of God. But God doesn't speak lies, ladies and gentlemen. One of the soldiers, willing to keep Paul alive, said, let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's, I've got a plan. I want all of you prisoners to jump all overboard. All of you who can swim, I want you to swim to shore. Right over there. You that can't swim, grab a broken piece of the ship. Grab a broken piece of the ship. Now, if you can swim, get after it. I can see them jumping overboard. Some of them in the Some of them may even. But they're, they're going to swim. Some of them, like I'm an Olympic swimmer. I, I've got this. I've got some of them jumped overboard. Oh, yes. Some of them can't swim. What am I going to do? If you will jump in the water and reach your hand up, there'll be something you can grab a hold of. Now this ship that had been their salvation is now splintered and broken. I want you to know something about the church. Even on an off day, even when there might be a little splinter pieces here and there, it's still got enough power to bring you where you need to go. You gotta stay in the church. I said, you gotta stay in the church. It's not a day to try to be finding a way to get out. It's a day to be trying to find a way to get in. It's time to get in to the church. 
So here, so here you are. Some of them are getting after it, Pastor. But oh, they're good and they're strong and they're swimmers. But some of them are like, now, I want you to know there's times in my life I've felt both ways. There's times that I've had encounter with God in a conference or a service and God spoke in my life, did so many great things. I felt like on fire with God. So much so that I could say, someone says Lucifer, like, Who, who's that? Bring him over here. strong church there's times I felt like I could swim and there's some things in life I have I have swam through but there's other times I felt like a rock I'm going under I don't know if I'm going to make it words we just reach up so I reached up and I felt something and I grabbed it and I pulled myself up and the current that's taking those strong swimmers is the same current that's going to take this person who can't swim to where I'm going to make it just like they made it. And I thank God for those that have served God valiantly for many years and have been through all types of things. And your gray hair is a testimony of God's faithfulness in your life. And you're a swimmer. I thank God for all the swimmers in the church today. There are a lot of swimmers in this church. But can I tell you, there are also some people here who can't swim. But I've come to tell you, you're going to make it too. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Just reach up. Reach up. There's something coming your way. Can I tell you, every time pastor preaches, he's throwing a broken board to you. Saying, grab a hold of that. Every time, and this evangelist preaching to you, I'm throwing a board to you right now saying, grab a hold to it. Grab a hold to it. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. One of the most profound times in my life when I couldn't swim. Three years ago last week, my 16-year-old son, his name's Noah. My 16-year-old son played on our high school, high school varsity basketball team. And I'm saying this for a reason, just so you'll understand. The team that he played for is a predominantly white school. And we were playing a district game against Southern Lab. Southern Lab is predominantly black school. Southern Lab is, is basically the highest school connected to Southern University. And they were playing that game at Southern, at their gym. And the gym was out here, and the locker room was like right through that door, right over there. And, and the game was going on, and we were getting beat pretty badly primarily because our guys played beneath the rim and those, they guys, those guys played above the rim. Well, you young people, you know what I'm talking about. So we were losing by 20 points or so at halftime. And I'm sitting up in the bleachers with other parents of our team. And again, we're in uh, enemy we're on enemy ground. And they're, they're all hooping it up. They're delighted. You know, probably 
seven-eighths of the crowds, their crowd. We just have a little handful over here snuggled up in the corner. So we're up here in the, in the bleachers. And at halftime, a young player comes down to the bottom of the bleachers and he says something about Noah. And I thought he said, Noah needs some water. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, bring, him, so I'll bring him some water. And he said, no, no, no. He's, he's having seizures. So I'm sitting here and then just a short distance down, one of our other players, his dad's a, 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 a doctor. And he sees me when I get up and he may have heard, I don't know, but when I get up and I run around the corner, I run into that locker room. He's not too far behind me. And the, the coach tells us what happens and said that they were standing up and he, he uh, passed out and they caught him and then he started having seizure activity, which he had had when he was a little boy. And in our mind, uh, would have to get back on medication, go to the doctor, all that stuff. But it had been many years. So it was kind of uh, unreal at this point. But that wasn't the problem, really. Because when they laid him down on that cold concrete slab in that locker room. Everybody left to go start the second half and I'm in there with the doctor and the doctor says he'll be okay because when they come out of seizures they just kind of go limp and, and he'll be alright. So let's lay him over on his back. So I get down to my son and I put my hand on his chest. He's laying sideways. I put my hand on his chest and when I do I notice there's no movement. And I look into his face and his face has turned an ashen gray color. And I asked the doctor, I said, is he breathing? The doctor says, he checks, he's not breathing. Call 911. He rolled him over. He immediately starts doing CPR on my son. I run out onto the gym. I call 911, and then I cry out to the crowd, can anybody help us, please? My son needs some help. Can anybody help us, please? And then I go back into... The locker room, the doctor's just working fervently. He's just working hard on my boy. And I can look in the face of the doctor and see there's concern because nothing's happened yet. And I put my hand on my son. When I put my hand on my son, I want to pray. And I start to begin to pray. But as soon as I do, darkness comes over me to the point where I begin to sense death. And I began to sense death and all of these horrible things in my mind that I don't want. And I, I shouldn't, I should know better by now, shouldn't I, Pastor? I've been going to church since I was 13 years old. I preached and prayed. I've seen people healed. I preached and prayed for people. But now my own son, I can't swim. I can't swim. Like a rock going to the depths. And then a, a black gentleman from Southern Lab comes in, takes his jacket off, he starts helping with CPR. And he starts helping, they're working frantically, both of them are working hard. And then a, a nurse comes in and the black gentleman leaves out of the room and he leaves and he goes and he gets an AED, the defibrillating the, the device, you know what I'm talking about. The, he, he comes back in with that AED and he hooks it up on my boy. I've got my hands on my boy. And I'm begging God, let him live, just kill me, please. Let him live, please. They tell me to move my hand, I move my hand. I look and they shock my boy. And that image is seared in my head to this day. I can't watch a show or anything when they start doing that. I can't see that because I saw my boy convulse off of that slab. And at that point, I, I guess I lost it because there were some people that came and they dragged me out. 
They took me out of the locker room and over to the corner. And when they took me to the corner, my 16-year-old boy in there with a doctor and a nurse and just three or four people trying to help. And by now, I guess it's noised abroad where people know what's going on. And they brought me to the corner. And I'll never forget the coach of Southern Lab, a tall, tall, handsome black gentleman. He comes over to me and he puts his arm around me. He said, let me tell you something. He said, when I was a little boy, my dad told me, son, I'm gonna teach you how to pray because one day you're gonna need to know how to pray. And he said, this is the day my dad trained me for when I was a little boy. And he began to pray. And suddenly, out of the, out of the, the stands, about 20 to 25 of those dear Southern, late, Southern Lab ladies come out. These dear black ladies come out. They're the ones that were cheering and dancing about our demise a little while ago. But I'm telling you, when you face a shipwreck, it changes the way people are. And they came out and they, they gathered around in that corner where I was. And when they gathered around in that corner, they began to pray. Now they weren't apostolic. Most of them were black Baptist ladies. But I'm telling you, I don't care what religion, what creed, color, nationality. Can somebody touch God for me when I'm going under? And they began to pray. They lifted their hands and said, in Jesus' name. And they started having a prayer meeting. In a public school gymnasium. Because when you need to pray, all the rules and regulations don't mean anything. And they were praying, touching God. I've got a picture of my son in his jersey. It was we tore off of him, that they cut off of him, kept that. But they're praying, and I'm trying. I say, look, don't worry about me. Pray my boy in there. And they are. They're praying for him. But there was one small black lady who came up to me, and she said, look at me. Look at me. And I wasn't looking at her. So she grabbed my face like this. Look at me. She grabbed my face, and I looked her in the eye, and she said, look at me and listen to me. Our God. It's a miracle working God. When I was going under, somebody gave me something to hold on to. Somebody gave me something to hold on to. That's one reason you need to be in the house of God. You might be going under, but somebody can help you pray. Somebody can help you touch God. Somebody can pull you through. There's a swimmer in the house that can help you. There's somebody who can help you. I don't go to church because I think since the age of 13 I have arrived and I'm so holy and righteous. I don't go to church because of that. I go to church because I know I need more of God. I don't go to church because I think I've arrived. I go to church because I know I need help to get to where I'm trying to go. 
And let me, let me, let me finish with this story. So, I'm going to hurry. I'm sorry. Every time I mention it, it feels like the first time. I'm sorry. Finally, the ambulance arrived. And I looked through. I, it still wouldn't let me in. And I looked through the, the little area there. They bring him through, strapped down into the ambulance stretcher deal. And the doctor called me. He says, come. So I go back. This is the first time I've seen him since they shocked him the first time. Now come to find out, my son had, his heart had not been beating. He had not been breathing for at least 15 minutes. And they had to shock him with the AD three times. Three times to get the rhythm and the pulse back. So I get into the ambulance with the doctor. And the, the, the workers on there trying to hold him down. He's flailing about. He can't speak. Every once in a while, he'll just make a guttural sound. He just, blah, 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 blah. He can't speak. He has no control of his members. They can't, they're trying to tie him to hook you know, things in. They can't get, get him hooked up and all that. And we, then we get to the hospital and there's 10, 15 people waiting. And they grab my son and they tie him down. They hold him down. They finally get him sedated. They get him hooked up to all of this stuff. And they roll him into the room. A cardiologist comes. And he goes and he begins to examine my son. He looks at the charts. He talks to the the EMT folks and he talks to them and he looks and he checks out Noah and he looks and all that and walks around for a few minutes and he's got his arms crossed he's looking and then he calls my wife and I back to the back of the room and he says if he makes it which I don't think he will but if he does based on what they're telling he may not be able to speak clearly he may not have control of all of his members of extremities if he makes it. At this point, I'm saying, God, I don't care. Just let him live. Just let him live. It's about 9 o'clock at night. And every few minutes, I would go to the bed to where he's laying there. And I would lean down in his ear and I'd say, Noah, I love you. There's no sound. Nine o'clock turns to 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight. And I'm, every few minutes, I'm still leaning down. But we're praying. And, I, and, and by now, it's just me in the room. And I lean down. And I say, no, I love you, son. Nothing. Every once in a while, the only sound that would proceed from the hospital bed was blah. 12 o'clock turns to 1 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I go up to him again. I lean down to his ear. And I say, Noah, I love you. And he says, I love you too. I ran down the hall and I said, he spoke, he spoke. And I was screaming, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. They transfer him to the mercy room in New Orleans. That was, that was about three in the morning when that happened. Now it's like, it's still early in the morning. Listen to me, by noon, 
by noon. Noah was sitting up in a chair playing video games. Against me. I'm sitting over here. Even in that condition, he beat me. Now, he doesn't remember because he had short-term memory loss. So the cardiologist in New Orleans and the one from Baton Rouge had come down as well. So the one from Baton Rouge walked in and he looks at the bed, he looks at the chair, and he looks at the bed, and he looks at the chair, looks at the chart, and he comes to the foot of the bed, and he says, this is what he said, he says, I am not a religious person, but I am telling you, that's a miracle that your boy is sitting up doing that. His condition, we later found out what the condition was. They said his condition is 95% fatal. It's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's a large, it's a thick enlarged heart. And typically when someone has it, they're born with it, when they have an episode, they die because wherever they are, they could, you could be laying in the bed. You don't even have to be exerting yourself. It could be sitting in a classroom, sitting at the table, sleeping, whatever. But when you have the episode for the first time, because it's not detected by regular testing, you have the episode the first time, you typically die. Because if you don't have a doctor there doing CPR, if you don't have, especially if you don't have an AED, because CPR itself will not keep you alive. You have to have an AED. A few minutes later, another cardiologist walked in. I'm about done. Another cardiologist walked in, and it was a, it's a, a dear Muslim lady. And she walks in, and she looks at the chart, and she says this. She says this. I don't know who you're talking to, but whoever you're talking to, keep talking to him. Because this is a miracle. Your son is a miracle. One quick, one last part, I gotta tell you that. Put a picture of the gentleman at the table. This is Coach Augustine. He's the middle school coach. He's not the JV, he's not the varsity, he's the middle school. He did not have a game the night uh, my son was playing because he's a middle school coach. He is the gentleman that I told that walked in, came in, the black gentleman took his jacket off, helped with CPR, and went and got the AED. That's him. Let me tell you this about him. The gym did not have an AED. Their words were it, it walked off. They didn't have one. This middle school coach said, I'm going to raise money so we can buy an AED, the defibrillating device, you know, in the walls. I'm going to raise money to buy one because we need one in our gym. So he sold candy, chips, drinks in the gym for a couple of years raising money. He gets to a certain amount of money where some in academics, in, in, I'm sorry, in the athletic department, they say to him, you've got a lot of money. You need to buy some new uniforms for your players. He said, no, sir. We need an AED in this gym. And if you're not going to buy one, I'm going to get one. 
He bought the gym, brought it to his office the day before. Are you here? The day before. It's in his office, locked in his office. No one else has a key to his office. This night, he has a meeting in Alexandria, two hours away. He leaves Baton Rouge, gets on the interstate, gets a call that says the meeting is canceled. He turns around, drives back, and on the way home, he says, I want to go by the gym to see how the team's doing. He drives in, walks over to the scores table at halftime. He's standing at the scorer's table. When I walk out and say, can anybody help us? He's the one that ran in and started helping do CPR. He's the one that ran out to his office and unlocked it and got the AED and brought it and hooked it up on my boy. Why didn't, why didn't God just take care of it all? Because sometimes he wants you to be a vessel. God could have just done it all, I know. But let me tell you this with, with that. Any and everything you do for the kingdom, any and everything you do in this church, hear me. If you're standing outside holding a sign, holding a sign, or if you're smiling at people and shaking their hands, if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're doing a Bible study, if you're singing and praying or worshiping, whatever you're doing, never think that what you're doing is insignificant. Every little thing you do is setting the stage for the miraculous. Everything you do is setting the stage for the miraculous. My son was a junior. The following year, he graduated in the top five in his class. He's now in his second year at LSU. If you saw my son, you would never know anything happened to him. He has a defibrillator that's implanted into his chest right here that you can even barely tell. There's a scar there. So excuse me if I get a little excited about my God. Every, every morning I wake up, I go in there and I touch him just to feel him move a little bit. Before I go to bed, I go in there and I touch him just to see him move a little bit. And I say, thank you, God, that somebody gave me something to hold on to. Stand with me, please. One month ago, Pastor, one month ago, he just... He's 19 now, but one month ago he came to me and he said, Dad, I feel like the Lord may be speaking to me about ministry. And my son, he's got such a wonderful, kind, sensitive heart. And I always tell him, said, to have such a bad heart, you've got such a great heart. And then a couple weeks after that, Brother Davis's church in Baton Rouge, invited him to, on a Wednesday night to 
speak. In 15 minutes, he gave his testimony and spoke about remembering. He said, we need to remember the faithfulness of God in our lives. And just last night, while I'm here, last night, last night uh, in Baton Rouge, the Cardiologic Society in Baton Rouge invited him last night to speak and tell his testimony, his story to all of the doctors and cardiologists as they're raising money for AEDs and raising money to give free screening for that particular deal because it doesn't show up in regular testing. And he spoke last night and I talked to him and I talked to my wife and she said he's did such an incredible job last night. But I, I can praise God for all of that because somebody, when I was wilting and couldn't pray, somebody prayed. Some little black lady touched God for me and some a, a group of people that, that weren't even of the same persuasion. But that's all right. They touched God for me. They touched God for me. I'm telling you, God hears your prayer when you pray. God hears your prayer when you pray. You might think heaven is closed up. You might think there's no hope. You might think there's no way you can survive. But I'm telling you, hope remains. Hope remains. Hope remains. You might not be able to navigate the stars. You might not see any sun shining. And you might think you're going under for the last time. But I'm telling you today, hope remains. I wonder if there's anybody in the building that you're going through a shipwreck. You're facing a hard time. You need a little hope. You know, I've got something for you right now. Is there anybody who wants to come up here and take this? Is there anybody who wants to say, hey, I need, I need something to hold on to? Now, all of you great swimmers, that's all right. You just keep swimming. Come on, brother. Come on. I'm telling you, God, God is going to pull you through. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. Come on, my sister. Whatever it is you're facing, you're going to make it, my brother. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Come on, you're going to make it. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. And let me show you something. There's enough to go around. There's enough to go around. There's enough. Just a moment. Lift your hands all through the building. Lift your hands. Come on. Someone needs the Holy Ghost today. Someone needs some faith. Somebody feels like you're not going to survive. Come on, touch God all through the house. From the back to the front, touch God. Come on, you're, you're getting in the water. You can swim, keep swimming. If you can't swim, if you can't swim, God's going to give you something right now to help you. Come on, come on, come on, come on.
It's not time to back up. It's time to pray. Come on, mom and dad. It's time to pray. It's time to touch God. Reach up. There's something to hold on to. Reach up. Hope remains. There's something to hold on to. There's something to hold on to. I'm throwing it out spiritually to you. In Jesus' name, I'm throwing it out to you, telling you, you're going to make it. The devil's a liar. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. There's enough for you. There's enough for you. Swimmers, help them. Some of you swimmers, help some of these that can't swim. Help them, help them, help them. In Jesus' name. Wherever you are, you can receive the Holy Ghost. You can receive the promise of God. Wherever you are right now.